That sounds like a great church you'd want to go to, right? I don't think so. Thankfully, our church is not a me church, uh, but we are looking at the roots of the church and how that affects this church today. And uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens, one of the pastors here at Soul City Church, and I love what we're looking at post-Easter. A couple weeks ago, we all celebrated Easter, uh, and if you celebrate Easter and, and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have to ask yourself the question is, well, okay, what happened next? What happened after that? And the amazing thing is that we are actually a part of the what happened next here this day in this church. But what we want to do is to better understand what God is calling and created our church to be is to look back at the very first church and see what it was that they were about. What was it that God intended and designed and desired the church to be? And how might we learn from that church to shape and affect this church that God has brought us to? This morning what we're going to look at is something that every one of us desperately desires. This morning, what we're going to be talking about is something that every one of us longs for, is true of every single one of us, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, no matter how spiritual you'd consider yourself, every one of us walks into these doors and through our lives with a very common desire. We're going to look at not only that desire that we have in ourselves, but how it is that God actually wants to use us to meet that desire in others. And that is the longing, the desire to be loved. Every one of us, at some level, wants to be loved. And the amazing thing is this, is that God knows that. God actually created you with that desire. God can not only speak into and meet that desire, but God actually has created and put you in the place he's put you to meet that need and that desire in others. And this amazing thing begins to happen as we begin to be on the lookout for how we can leverage God's love. We receive God's love and love from others in whole new and deeper ways. So we're going to look at how that idea of love was central to that first church. Now, if I were to ask you what are some of the words you think of when you think of church, love might not make it to the top of the list. There are a lot of other words that maybe you walked into these doors in the back of your mind, or maybe you've experienced in your past. But when we look at the story of this first church, love is all over it. Last week, we looked at the day the church began. We actually have it recorded in the Bible. You have to imagine what it must have been like for those first followers of Jesus, all that they'd been through. And we looked at how they were gathered together in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus had told them to wait. They were huddled together in an upper room waiting for what Jesus had told them would happen. And there weren't many details. He said, basically, what I want you to do is wait. And then when the time is right, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And God will actually be in you for the first time in human history. And you're going to tell my story, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Basically, wait here, God will come, tell my story here, there, and everywhere. And that's about all they had to go on. And so that first day, as we looked at last week, if you missed it, you can go back and and watch it or listen to it in the podcast. We looked at the day of Pentecost, two major holidays celebrated back to back, Passover, which is the weekend that Jesus was crucified and raised by God from the dead. And then seven weeks later was a celebration called Pentecost, the celebration of first fruits. And it was at Pentecost that the first fruits of the church were born. And the Holy Spirit, for the first time, entered into human beings. And we looked at last week what happened. They were all huddled together. Holy Spirit comes. Actually, God is now inside of them. They are praising and praying and worshiping God. The only thing is there are thousands and thousands and thousands of spiritual pilgrims in that city at that time, and they see that something different is happening. And as these people are praying and praising God, people are actually hearing their own native tongue be spoken. 
don't ask me how. It was one of those moments that God did it, and they just sort of went along with it. And so then Peter hops up, and he preaches the very first sermon. He never preached a sermon before in his life. And at the end of the sermon where he talked about who Jesus is and how it was that God has provided us life through his death and resurrection, 3,000 people say that they want to choose Jesus. Those are pretty good odds. Peter's off to a great start as a preacher, right? So we see that 3,000 people say, I want to be saved and I want to be baptized. And they're baptized immediately. It's a logistics nightmare. And yet the church is born. And all these spiritual pilgrims now become residents and make their home in this new thing called the church. They didn't even have a name for it yet. They didn't even know what to call it. So you have to imagine what it must have felt like to have all that happen on day one and then head back to that upper room together, exhausted, overwhelmed, and already be thinking, what do we do on day two? That's a pretty epic day one. And if you're those first followers of Jesus, can you imagine you kind of come back to the house and you're kind of looking at each other and you can imagine someone at some point had to say, so that went well, right? I mean, that, that was a pretty huge response. And people going, can you believe what God did? Can you, can you, did you see what I, how God used me? And someone's like, yeah, at one point I was speaking Spanish. I don't even know Spanish. You were? See, like they don't even know. Like <laughs> things happened that they just could not explain because it wasn't by their own power. It was by the power of God. And so now they're looking and going, man, I can't believe what God has done. What do we do next? And you can imagine those first few followers, and there were only a few followers of Jesus saying, what would Jesus do if only there were a bracelet to show us the way? <laughs> Monday, one day, and that's where the, that was born, it's in that moment. And so I don't know if it was subconscious or conscious or my hunches was probably led by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, but they began to remember, no, Jesus said we would be his witnesses, that we would tell his story. What did he say? What did he do? And one of them is brought back. Wait a second, remember? Do you remember the night, that terrible, terrible night that he was arrested? And Judas betrayed him. He was given a false trial. Do you remember that night? Though before all that happened, Jesus washed our feet. And you can see them because they maybe hadn't thought about that night that much. And so much had happened over the last two months. And then he begins to come back. Oh, yes, oh, yes. What did, Jesus said something to us when he was washing our feet. John, you were taking notes. What did he, what did he say? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what Jesus said and where really the whole plan for what's next and what's now for this church comes from. It's found in the book of John, verse 13, or chapter 13. So if you would please grab a blue Bible and you can turn to John 13. In the blue Bibles, it's page 994. We say this every week. If, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, uh, you get to steal this Bible from church. That's a, that's a great deal to steal a Bible from church. We believe in the power of God's word, that it's transformational for our life. We're going to look at the truth from God's word as it affects our church today and our lives today. It's found in John 13. Jesus is letting them know what life would look like in this new kingdom of his, in this new way called the church. Jesus said these words as he's washing their feet, about to serve them communion. He says these words, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. So Jesus is using the word command. He's being very clear. I want you to pay attention to this. Love one another. Now, we're going to read that again. And when we get to those words, I want you to read them out loud. So Jesus said these words. A new command I give you. Love one another. All right. Now, like you actually believe it or that they might have power. Let's try it again. A new command I give you. Love one another. Jesus said, as I have loved you. As I have already loved you, 
so you, what's the word there? Must. So you must. Not so you should. Not so when you feel like it. Not so when someone does it to you so you have to do it back to them. So you must love one another. By this, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's how the world will know you belong to me and not to it. It's how you love each other. As I have loved you, as you are already loved, love one another. This is not an option. It's a command. You must love one another. And when you do, the world will take notice. When you do, the world takes notice. Jesus knew that the world would not be changed by a well-organized organization, although that's important. Jesus knew that the world was not going to be changed by some sort of religious hierarchy, that the world wouldn't be changed by big, beautiful, ornate buildings, although those are wonderful. The world would never be changed by smart strategies and killer logos and coffee mugs, although those things are all fantastic. What Jesus knew that the only way the world would ever be changed and literally turned upside down and have actually heaven come to earth is when we love one another. When we learn to leverage the love that's been lavished on us by God. Let me say that again. It's when we learn to leverage the love that's been lavished on us by God. When we recognize what Jesus said, you have already been loved. You are loved by me. Now love one another. What does the church do on day two and every day since? Love one another. This was their strategy. It's really all they had to go on. And so they did. They took God seriously at his word. They determined that we are actually going to love each other well. We're going to look to and meet the needs of those around us. We're going to make sure that everyone has a place at the table. We are going to overextend ourselves for others and put their agendas ahead of our own. Because Jesus said, this is what we do. We love one another well and the world takes Notice. And so let's flip ahead a couple pages to uh, Acts 2, 42. That's page 1005 in the Blue Bible. I want to give you a picture so you can see how that church lived out loving one another, how that church leveraged the love that God had lavished on them. This is what it looks like. This is a central passage to our church, central passage to the formation of the type of church that we want to be. It says these words. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, I'm just going to hit pause right there and explain what that means. So we're going to kind of go through and read, and I'm going to do a little teaching, okay? So you can kind of follow along with your finger or underline or do whatever you have to do to keep up. This is what it means to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, you have to remember who the apostles were. They were the disciples, the followers of Jesus. They were now the leaders of the church. Two months prior, they were still getting the message of Jesus confused. Two months prior, they were still waiting for Jesus to overthrow Rome and take his rightful place as a ruler of Israel. That's just two months ago. Now they are the leaders of the church, and they are bearing witness, as Jesus said they would, to his story. So it says they gathered under the apostles' teaching. What did they have to say? None of these people went to seminary. None of these people were trained for this. Later on in the book of Acts, it says that they were ordinary, everyday, uneducated people, just like you and me. Nothing really all that special, just ordinary people. These are former fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes. 
And now they are telling the teachings and the story of Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Because they had no formal training. So you can imagine those first couple sermons must have been rough. This one time, Jesus was on a boat. And it was stormy. I mean, can you imagine? Like they're trying to remember. What did he say? What did he say? What did he do? What did he do? That's all we have to say. That's all we have to do. And then as they began to tell the stories of Jesus, they began to realize, wait a second, all the, the Old Testament that we studied as children grew up understanding and hearing these verses now fully make sense in light of Jesus. And then it all starts to become clear as the Holy Spirit is in them. They're beginning to understand the greater story that they are now part of. And so people were hooked on their teaching because they'd never heard anything like this before. Who is this Jesus? And how is it that we might know him. So they gathered together for the apostles' teaching and for fellowship, for being together. There was a oneness about them. To the breaking of bread, which means both sharing meals together and literally breaking bread as Jesus commanded them to do in John 13 with communion. To break bread, to remember his body, his life, his sacrifice. And it says they committed themselves to prayer. You have to understand these are people who had grown up in a culture with a lot of practiced prayers. Prayers that you memorized and rehearsed and said at specific times of day and very devout, very, you know, but very religious sort of prayers. Now their prayers are to a real God that they personally know. Now there's no one praying for them. They are actually talking to God for the very first time. Can you imagine what those first couple prayers must have felt like? Something that we often, all too often, take for granted. They devoted themselves to this church We'll move forward on our knees as we pray. It says that everyone is filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles, that they literally continued to do miracles just as Jesus had done. Jesus told them, you will do even greater things than I when the Holy Spirit comes. And they did just that. People were amazed at what was happening. All the believers, that word is very important. Please underline it in your Bible. All the believers were together and had everything in common, meaning that there was no separation between them, that inequity was met with equality, that if there were any needs among them, as we'll see in the text, they were met. Anything that might have kept them at a distance or a difference before was brought together at the cross of Jesus. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's a pretty radical faith, isn't it? I mean, lots of times it's a wrestle for us to just reach for our wallet and pull a couple bucks out and throw it in the bucket. They looked around and said, what do I have? What can I do? How can I be a part of loving others the way that I've already been loved by God? Radical, radical, revolutionary faith. And the church began. Reading on Acts chapter 2, it says, every day, that's very important, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, we meet together like once a week for like an hour and 15 minutes. And for some of you, that's a really big deal. It's the first time you've come to church maybe ever in your life or in a long time. These folks were so captivated by what God God was doing. They met every day together to, to hear more about who this God is and how they can grow in their relationship with him. It says that they met in the temple courts. Let me just paint a picture for you. What that means is uh, at that time, the temple in Jerusalem was the focal point of Jewish faith, of that faith. And so all these people had traveled for miles and miles and miles to be at the temple in Jerusalem for Passover and for Pentecost. Literally 10,000 people gathered together in this town of Jerusalem all around the temple. Well, when you have a faith that on day one, a church that on day one has 3,000 members, where do you meet? 
<laughs> you, you, you know, where do you, you have to find a place to meet. So where they actually met, this is really interesting, there's a place called Solomon's Porch. And back behind the back of the temple, there was a promenade, there was a space there that was big enough to house thousands of people. And the metaphor is not lost. Inside the temple, religious practices that they'd many of them have known all their lives and practiced all their lives were still being done. But back in the alley, back behind the building is where the church began. Outside, as people gathered together daily to hear more and more about who this Jesus is. But it says they not only gathered together corporately like we're doing here, they actually broke bread in their homes and ate together. They shared meals with one another with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, that there was a blessing on them, not only from within the church, but from with the city around them. People were amazed. What happened yesterday? Like, what went on that all these people love? Was it Woodstock? What happened? I don't understand how this can happen in a day, and people now are sharing their lives, sharing their homes, sharing their meals with strangers who are now brothers and sisters brought together by the family of God. This is revolutionary stuff. And this is how the church began. And it says this, that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. God added to their number daily. In fact, just a little bit later past this point, a couple thousand more joined the church. And so now you have at least half the city would call themselves Jesus followers. Can you imagine if half of the city of Chicago all wanted to go to church every day? what that would be like for our city. That's what was happening in the city of Jerusalem. It was this amazing moment in time when the church was born and all of it, all of it, all of it rooted on a very simple strategy found in a very common desire of every one of us that we can love one another. That all of us long to be loved and all of us can love. It's as though you can see Jesus kind of trying to sum it all up for his disciples, because he knew they didn't always get it, and basically kind of summed it up saying this, look, you're loved. You are loved. God has lavished his love. You are loved. So you can love. You can actually love. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how spiritual you think you are, how much you've been going to church your whole life or haven't been going to church your whole life. You are so loved that you actually can love. And Jesus says, let me take it one step further. You must love. You are loved. You can love. You must love love, because this is how the world takes notice. And that's exactly what happened. The world, the city took notice, and the church began to grow and grow and grow until it became a threat to the establishment, to the way things were. And there was a central figure who was dead set on opposing the church. He was a very uh, religious person, a zealot, extremist. His name was Saul. And when he saw what happened, these folks, they love each other. They actually love each other. They're they're giving to each other. They're making sure that there's no needy or poor people among them. People are being brought in at the table. I mean, we're literally seeing like soccer moms and strung out druggies sitting together, sharing a meal together. Paul goes, this cannot be. And so he devotes his life to destroying the church. In fact, there came a moment where the love became so powerful that it turned and it became a very real threat to the religious system. And the church had its first martyr and someone named Stephen. It's just a few chapters ahead from where we're reading. You should read the story. It's fascinating. He's killed for his faith. And the Bible makes sure that we know that Saul 
is there, approving, giving a nod. Yes, this is the next turn. If we can't oppress these folks, if we can't stop these folks, then we will kill them. And so he goes on a rampage until in the midst of his rage, he is literally stopped and blinded by God. And God speaks into him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you running from me? Why are you out to destroy me? You can't. And God overwhelms, overwhelms Saul with his love. And a conviction comes over Saul's heart where he realizes, like many of you have, all you're running from God is ultimately a running to God. And you turn around and realize that he's never left. And so Saul, broken, says, okay, I think I want to be a Christian. Is that what we're calling ourselves? What do we do? I was just trying to destroy these folks. Now I think I want to be one. And so he goes on his own adventure, finding rejection even from the church in the beginning, understandably so. (laughs) And then finding a way to extend this message that we're going to look at next week to take the church outside its walls and around the world. But there comes a moment in Saul's reflection. His name gets changed to Paul, and so Paul is reflecting as he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth on what is central, what Jesus said at that table in that upper room, what began in that first church and what we all long for. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Paul is reflecting on the power of this simple strategy. He says this, look, if I speak in human um, or angelic tongues, like so if I'm saying really smart stuff or very spiritual stuff, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Just nothing of value, just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am what? Nothing. It doesn't matter. If I give all I possess, if I do good things and give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that means even like Stephen, be you know, be persecuted, even to have my life taken from me, but I don't have love, then I gain nothing. And then Paul goes on to recite something that many of you will hear a hundred times this summer at weddings. Maybe you had it read at yours like we did at ours. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. Doesn't boast. He wasn't giving a wedding message. He was talking about the church and this strategy that we must love one another, that the church is at its best when it leverages the love that God has lavished on us. You are at your best when you leverage the love that God has lavished on your life, when you look at all that God has done to love you. As Jesus said, I have already loved you. You were already loved. And when you go, okay, how can I begin to offer that to others? Because I know how desperately I long for that in my life you begin to see exactly what God had in mind for the church. Anytime the church tries to leverage anything other than the love of God, it fails. Anytime it tries to leverage power over love, it loses respect. Anytime it tries to leverage really smart, strategic systems over love, it loses its fire and its passion. Anytime the church tries to leverage moral authority and judgment on people absent of love, it loses its influence. 
It makes me think of something that Jeannie and I saw a couple weeks ago as we were driving back from vacation in Florida. We were coming back up here, and we were in the middle of Alabama, which felt like four or five days to get through Alabama. <laughs> and we were driving through, and both of us saw this sign that we couldn't believe. And it was a sign, in my opinion, of what happens when the church loses love. I want to show it to you now. This is a very real sign. At least it's direct. The sign says, go to church or the devil will get you. And I love that they drew the devil with the, whatever that is, the winnowing fork or whatever, the harvester. And you got to love that the devil wears curly-toed shoes. (laughs) It's a choice, folks. It's a choice. So this is a very real sign. And you know what? Maybe the people who made it had great intentions or they wanted to really help people. Do you think that helps move forward the mission of the church? Do you think that's rooted in love? That's rooted in fear and judgment. Something that maybe you've felt from the church before. Maybe you felt from your parents growing up or someone in authority. Go to church or the devil will get you. Go to church. Stop watching football. (laughs) Go to church. That's not necessarily meeting that deep need that every one of us has in our hearts. We long to be loved, to be loved well. And God has actually created you to be a part of meeting that longing in others. This last week, I got an email from Elijah, our six-year-old small group leader, Ben. And, you know, Ben just pointed out a couple things. He said, hey, I've noticed, you know, Elijah's kind of doing this, and he's doing awesome at this, and I just, you know, I want to let you guys know that I pulled him aside, and I told him if he would memorize a verse, John 16, b if he would memorize that verse, I would, I would give him a special prize at the end of the week, you know, next Sunday. And our son is so classically firstborn, that's all he needed. He was given his orders, and there was a prize at the end, and he knew exactly what to do. And by Monday morning, he had that verse memorized. And then to be able to see Ben today walk out with Elijah and go, I'm going across the street to 7-Eleven to get him a prize. You know, I was like, it's not powdered donuts. Or what do, you, what do you get over there that's worth? Came back with a bag full of candy. I was like, perfect prize. That's awesome. And to see how this, you know, young man chose to love a six-year-old. To demonstrate a love that has already been lavished on his life. He's just leveraging it. And it just so happens to be to my son and means the world to Jeannie and I. I see it in this church. I saw it when uh, a week and a half ago, Jeannie's mom had knee surgery. She's doing great. We went down there the night that she had surgery. Before we went down there that afternoon, Amy, who's on our staff, said, hey, I just want to let you know, I made a little like you know gift bag for, for Peggy. And it's just filled with all the kinds of things. I know she's probably just going to be hating being in the hospital. And so it's got all these magazines, you know, and things that she can read and ways to kind of kill time and, and not make it as bad. And then I thought to myself, should we have made one of those, Jeannie? <laughs> and I thought, my second thought was, that's the love of God. That someone would think to go, you know what, I know how that's going to be. They're, they're, they have a very real need. This is a small way. I can meet that. I can meet that need. I'm telling you, every one of us, every one of us has the opportunity to extend the love of God in very real ways. 
And when we do, when we do it right, when we do it well, when we do it without hesitation, like we saw in this church, when it flows from our lives, the world takes notice. Guys, the world takes notice to how you treat the women in our church. It's watching how you speak about women, how you look at women, how you talk to women, how you date in this church. We're still a small church. You can't afford to mess up in this church. You've got to get it right. Women, the way you speak about the men of our church, the way you extend love, the way you honor and encourage, hold up. I'm telling you, that is in short supply in the world around us. When we love well like that, the world notices. Husbands, it matters that you love your, life, your wife well. It matters to her. It matters to God. But it matters to the other guys at work. That you make sure that you leave and go home on time and don't hide at work anymore. That you not only go home, but you go home to take your wife out. And you let the guys at work know that's what you're doing. It matters. Wives, it matters how you speak about your husbands. It matters that you honor them when they're not around. When you get together with your girlfriends and you start talking, it's easy. We give you a lot to complain about. (laughs) I get it. I get it. When you love well, and when you speak well, and when you do that well specifically to your husband, to your wife, to your spouse, the world notices, where does that love come from? Where does that come from? How does that marriage been restored? How does that marriage have hope? I saw it in my small group this week. A guy who was up against the ropes with his marriage six months ago. You hear about the steps that he and his wife have taken that they're away this weekend on a marriage retreat together, that God is restoring their marriage only to love of God. And I'm telling you, when the world sees that, it pays attention. It pays attention how we love and meet the needs of those in and around our church. It matters that we're present at Brown Elementary. It matters. It matters for our hearts to grow. It matters that they're not just a serving project for us to go and kind of feel good, you know, for an hour of kind of helping and volunteering. Absolutely not. We are in committed partnership with Principal Sadler and that faculty to be whatever part we can be a part of to facilitate a future for those kids and those families. And when a church looks to the needs of those in and outside of our walls and does whatever we can, the world notices. It notices. And its eyes are drawn. Where does that love come from. And then we have something to offer. Then we have something to offer. How we speak and the words we choose to use and specifically the words we choose not to use matters. How you encourage people, how you bless people and encourage them when you see them, to go out of your way, to send them a note, to send them a text, to send them an email, to send them a small gift like Amy did. The way that you speak even about others at this church or even about other churches in this city matters. It absolutely matters. The world is watching. And you have an opportunity, if not a command from Jesus himself, to love one another well. And here's the great thing. You are loved. So you can love. And we must love. We must love well. 
So the question for you and I to consider is how are you going to leverage love well this week? What are some of the opportunities that God is going to bring to you? Because here's the thing I know about God. He's going to bring you opportunities today to leverage love well. So spouses, it may be a great opportunity. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to give you a freebie here to encourage your spouse before you even get home today to thank them. Look them in the eyes and intentionally thank them for how well they've loved you, to love them well. When you go out to lunch today, the way that you treat your server matters. You have an opportunity to treat your server well, to talk to them, to honor them, just pay attention to them, to tip them really well. For those of you who work in restaurants, can I get an amen? Listen, there's opportunities for you to really, like, to go out of your way to encourage someone this week. How will you leverage love well? Who are the people that God is already bringing to your mind right now that you go, you know what? I could write a note. I could send a text. I could talk to them before I leave church today. What about maybe some of the people in your circle that have very real needs that you can be a small part of meeting, like Amy did with my mother-in-law? This is a small thing. You look around and go, you know what? I know this person needs a ride every day. I can, I can swing by and leave 15 minutes early and pick them up and give them a ride. You know, this person might need a place to stay for a while. I got some space. I got a couch. I'll take the couch. They can take my bed. I can make some room. This person is in a tough spot financially. God, I know you've already loved me and blessed me, and while I may not have all that I want, I know that I have more than I need. God, I want to loosen up these resources just like that first church did to extend love, to love well, to leverage your love well, and to make it a daily discipline to choose to love well, like Ben did to my son, Amy did to my mother-in-law, like so many of you have done with Jeannie and with, uh, with, with me. We are so grateful for that. And when we do that well, the world will take notice. In fact, that's really our mandate as a church, that we love well. And so I want to invite the band up right now, and uh, we're going to spend a few moments just blessing God and loving God and extending our love to God, acknowledging the way he's lavished in our lives. But I also want us to take a moment to really do that even right now. I hope you're kind of, some thoughts are flooding through your head about how you can love well, how you can be a part of the work of the church, which is to love others well. I want to give us an opportunity to actually do that in a very real and tangible way right now. So I'm going to invite Jess and, and Joe to come up right now, and we're going to spend a few minutes um, just hearing a little bit of their story and being able to pray for them. So, when you guys come, yeah, Liz, you can come up here. Thanks. So, this is Jess. This is Joe. Uh, Jessica's been a part of our church, in and around our church, since it kind of started, basically. And I don't need this. I'm holding two mics. I'm going to give this to you guys. <laughs> Just so used to microphones. Have one in the car, have one whatever. So, you've been in and around Soul City Church since it started. And then you and Joe got married just a little over a year ago. And so Joe is now kind of getting, you know, becoming part of Soul City Church. But about six weeks ago, uh, your story took a turn. Why don't you just tell us real quick so that we can pray for you? I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And it blindsided us. I'm a healthy person, I'm active, I eat well. I help people lead lives that are healthier, and so it's just a really big shock. And it shows you just how precious life is and how tomorrow's not promised. And it's definitely grown me in God, and he's given me such peace. Yeah. 
and my heart is so guarded. And I'm thankful for all my friends and family and my husband and this church. Yeah. I, mean, I was having lunch with Joe this week. I mean, just to, to look at how these two have responded to a very real turn in their story. And to see how just a year into marriage, they're like, oh, okay, God, you, this has to be by your power and your strength to walk through this. And then to look at their friends who've come around and said, whatever we can do, whatever it takes. The way many of you have come around, uh, Joe and Jessica, and said, whatever it takes, whatever we can do. And so what I thought would be good for our church to do, uh, tomorrow you guys leave for Houston to begin some tests and hopefully treatment. And uh, I thought it'd be really good for us to all pray for Jessica together as a church. Now, you may not be a praying type, so you can just kind of go along for the ride. But many of us are, and we believe that God answers prayer, and that God is all-powerful, and that he hears us when we pray. So I'm going to pray, but as I do, I'm going to ask you to pray in your own words for Jessica as well, that God would heal her, heal her, and give her and Joe the strength to walk through this season so well together that the world would take notice of how well they love each other and trust God through this. So would you actually stand with me right now? Thanks, Jess. And we're going to pray together for Jessica and Joe right now. God, we don't understand why. We don't understand all the time where these things come from. And even at times, God, we have a hard time understanding where you're at in the middle of it. But we do know this, God. You are present with Jessica and Joe right now. And your love is strong. And God, it breaks your heart to see your children suffering. And God, we know that you can heal. We know that you can sustain. We know that you can guide and guard and love and lead our lives. And so we pray that you would do that for Joe and for Jessica right now. Specifically as they head tomorrow to Houston for treatment. God, we pray, we pray that we would see a miracle happen. And that they know that they go down there covered in prayer and support from a church who's choosing to love them well. God, we thank you for the way that you've even invited us to walk with them in small but real ways through this chapter. We thank you that they have a community. They have great friends who love you and love them. God, thank you for what a difference that has made in their lives. What a difference that makes in our lives. And God, we all know we could go around this room and pray for every single one of us today. There are very real needs that every one of us faces. And so God, we need you to extend your love to us through each other. God, we need you to help us be the kind of church that makes you proud, that the world takes notice of, that we love well, that we pray often, that we share our lives, our homes, our resources freely with each other. God, thank you for the way that folks are doing that with Jess and Joe. And God, for all the other stories that are in and around this church happening right now, thank you, God, that you are growing this church by your power and your love. And so, God, we commit to extending that work today. Thank you for these two. God, I pray that they feel your love and our love today and throughout these next few weeks. In your name, amen. Thank you so much. So we're going to spend a few moments right now praying and singing. We'd encourage you to join us as we uh, sing these words to God together right now.